what is the latest on the um, outcome of all of the boosters and the shots so far? The the very quick summary is December 7th, 2022, Kate. Uh, The U.S. Senate held a special panel on COVID-19 vaccines, and the conclusion was given by by yours truly, as I co-moderated this session with Senator Ron Johnson, assisted by Senator Roger Marshall and a team of several dozen scientists. We concluded the vaccine should be pulled off the market, all of them. Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson, Johnson, Novavax in the United States. Uh, They're simply not safe for human use. The FDA agrees they cause myocarditis or heart damage, which is fatal, blood clots, which are fatal, neurologic disease, which is disabling. Uh, These are all FDA-acknowledged problems. Uh, These serious safety risks do not outweigh, uh, they do outweigh uh, any of these theoretical benefits. And so with this call to pull the vaccines off the market, within two days, member of parliament in the UK, Andrew Brigden, stepped up and said, pull them off the market. Christine Anderson in Germany and the EU, same thing. Malcolm Robertson, Australia, the same call. World Council for Health, June and now December of 22, strong calls to remove the COVID-19 vaccines from the market. They're simply not safe for use. Right. Right. Well, and that pretty much wraps it up, doesn't it? I mean, I'm looking at the shots. A lot of people got the first one and then went, wait a second, I don't want the boosters. Are the boosters causing the issues that we're seeing more so than even the first shot? I call the whole shot system a drip system because I think of what they're doing with the shots. And I may be wrong, but it seems to me that they have to have a drip system. It couldn't have been done in one shot, plus the profit, the profit angle of multiple shots. But are the boosters the issue versus the first one if somebody got the first one? Uh, you know that the boosters are a cumulative exposure, but now they open up the body to being uh, exposed to potentially four different spike proteins. Uh, and uh, vaccine expert David Wiseman predicts this is even worse than the original shots, even though the boosters for Pfizer Moderna are at half of the total dose. They're already obsolete, by the way. The boosters were coded against BA4, BA5. The virus is mutated on to uh, the XBB series, and so they're already theoretically obsolete. They failed in animal trials, never tested in human uh, randomized prospective uh, double-blind trials. America has lost its love affair with the vaccines. The CDC currently states only 13% of people are taking these boosters. Uh, On my Substack, Courageous Discourse, I summarize CDC data. You know, if any group of workers would benefit from getting the vaccines, it would be nursing home workers, right. and the rate of nursing home workers taking any vaccines now, 10%. Wow, wow. So all of this is coming to light. Do you see a shift coming up in any way? What, what do you see them doing with all of the people in America? Well, a majority of the people now sort of seeing, the, seeing what's happening. There was a poll um, yet, I, a couple of days ago, I think, that said that one in four Americans identify somebody they know that died and do suspect the vaccines as the issue. That's pretty, that's huge. So That's a bombshell. You're referring to the Rasmussen report. That's a valid population survey, large study. Two-thirds of people took the vaccine, a third didn't. Mm-hmm. Of those who took the vaccine, 22% knew somebody who died of the vaccine. And those who didn't take the vaccine, probably more sensitized, 45% knew wow. somebody who died of the vaccine. So that to overall point estimate is that 28% of people 
know somebody who's been, uh, sadly, they've lost their life with the vaccine. That's consistent with a Michigan State University survey by Dr. Mark Skidmore, found 22% of people who responded were seriously damaged with the vaccines. Zogby survey, another valid survey uh, company, 15% of people now have uh, medical problems or seeking care for taking the vaccine. This CDC vSafe data revealed 7 to 8% of people who take the vaccine have to be hospitalized or go to an urgent care right after taking it. About a quarter are incapacitated. So these four sources of survey data are cohesive. I'm an epidemiologist. I study this. That means the data agree. So, you know, we don't need social media, major media, anything else. This is family members talking to family members, a Bible study, church groups, school, employment, military, sports teams. People are talking, and boy, did we see this on Monday Night Football with the cardiac arrest of Damal Hamlin. Yes, yes. And so in that, you know, I have a question for you. Um, as, uh, as with your career, with your entire background, as we laid out in the beginning, when uh, I saw a study that, that talked about tackles to the chest in football, all the way up through the pros, from high school sports all the way to the pros. And they said that when you're hit in the chest, if it's hard, you'll probably have a fallout effect over a few days. You'll probably have an irregular heartbeat and and you'll have effects. But rarely would you drop from that moment. And I wanted to get your take on that with your career uh, behind you. I published a substack. My co-author did the research, John Leake, and the condition you're talking about is commodio cortis. Mm. And that's when a lacrosse ball or baseball uh, at a high velocity hits the sternum mm-hmm. and causes immediate ventricular fibrillation. That didn't happen in this case. It doesn't happen in football. In fact, it's never happened in pro football wow. because the shoulder pads have a breastplate. Mm. And so the players are constantly getting drilled with the helmet into their chest. And so the pads work very well. This case could not have been commodio cortis because uh, he made the tackle, he got up, he reached up and grabbed his face mask to clap his hands, then he fell over. Right. So the analysis, and everyone agrees now on this, it was a primary cardiac arrest. I was on Tucker Carlson, right ahead of me was my colleague, Michelle Tafoya, Mm -hmm. uh, who's been an NFL analyst for decades. She's seen so many injuries. Michelle and I uh, have uh, been on a program together and we both agree it was a primary cardiac arrest. And then we the clincher was today on CNN, uh, Hamill's uncle said they had a second cardiac arrest once he got to University of Cincinnati Medical Center. So this is a primary arrhythmic sudden death. And now the search is on. And what I told Tucker Carlson is the search is on to figure out why. Now, I'm sure he's undergoing therapeutic cooling. He's mechanically ventilated. He's in a medically induced coma. This is all standard of care. Uh, based on what I have seen, I think he will recover. I think he'll come off the ventilator. Question is, what degree of neurologic recovery? His NFL career almost certainly is over with. He'll be implanted with a cardiac defibrillator. But he's going to need an evaluation for what goes on. Athletes are screened for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, the leading cause of cardiac arrest. Uh, there are rare cases of anomalous coronary arteries, various forms of electrical channel abnormalities. He'll be screened for all of those. But the elephant in the room and the reason why the players looked so nauseated is because they thought in their mind that, in fact, this could be due to COVID-19 vaccination. What we know there 
is the NFL received money from the federal government through the COVID Community Core Program. That's the White House and the Department of Health and Human Services. $13 billion, by the way, flowed wow. from the federal government to a variety of entities. And the NFL was one of the prominent ones. And we know the NFL took the government money. They turned around and they had COVID-19 vaccine mandates. About 95% of the players end up taking the vaccine. Prominent players like Aaron Rodgers, Cole Beasley, former uh, fellow Buffalo Bill, uh, did not take the vaccines. They claim 100% of staff did. And then the NFL suddenly drops the COVID-19 vaccines in March of 2022. So it, it, I have opined on this mm -hmm. that um, uh, right now, COVID-19 vaccine-induced myocarditis, which has caused well-documented cases of cardiac arrest, multiple studies have shown this, that that is the leading differential diagnosis if indeed he, take the, he took the vaccine. So the very first thing that needs to happen, and this is now a public health obligation of his family, the Bills doctors, the uh, University of Cincinnati Medical Center doctors, the NFL, the very first thing they must disclose to the public is, did he take a vaccine, a COVID-19 vaccine? And the reason why, this is not a private health matter. Right. This has been US federal dollars. Our tax dollars went for this. And we are owed an explanation. This occurred on primetime TV. This is in the backdrop of a paper I've just published with Dr. Polycretis from, uh, from Italy, where we looked at all of the uh, European athlete deaths that have occurred. And, and here are the data. Before COVID-19 vaccines, and there's way more European soccer and rugby players than there are NFL players. I can right. tell you, it's a huge population. The number of cardiac arrests recorded on average is about 29 per year, 29. Okay. Since COVID-19 vaccination in 2021, that number has now risen to 1598 and 1101 of them are fatal. Two thirds of these are fatal. And I can tell you the suspicion here is that COVID-19 vaccination is causing subclinical myocarditis heart damage. That's setting the body up for an abnormal heart rhythm, particularly with a big surge of adrenaline, like at a football game. That's why we're seeing the athletes go down like they are. So it, with the adrenaline, with uh, in, in playing a game, because they're in, they're at optimal health, correct? So you've got athletes that are young in optimal health, and um, this is certainly this this number is so big compared to the twenty nine a year. I don't know how the media can keep ignoring it. Do you? I don't know how the surviving four hundred players <laughs> who've gone through a cardiac arrest how they can remain silent, right? And right. they can help us greatly if they just come out and tell us if they took the vaccine or not. Tell us what happened. You know, before COVID-19 vaccination, those 29 deaths per year, they're well characterized. Hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, anomalous coronaries, congenital heart disease. There's always an explanation. But this idea that people can die and have cardiac arrests with no explanation and complete silence, from a public health perspective, it's unacceptable. Lead cardiologist Asim Malhotra from the UK and myself have uh, actually made a mini documentary. It's on the Vaccine Safety Research Foundation website and on Rumble. And the title of the documentary is Until Proven Otherwise. And what we're saying is that, listen, for these sudden unexpected deaths, there's always an explanation. And if there is no explanation and they've taken the vaccine, it is the vaccine until proven otherwise. And that's a conservative regulatory stance. Absolutely. Oh, man. 
Uh, so looking at, I, I've, I've been looking at a lot of your, um, a lot of your work lately, and you're talking about the unvaccinated and the vaccinated and the effects going back and forth. Did you want to expand on that as well? There is some concern. The CDC says that 17% of Americans are unvaccinated. It is interesting that both the Zogby and the Rasmussen reports indicate about a third are unvaccinated. So right. it's interesting how people may categorize themselves. But those who remain in unvaccinated uh, typically have done so because of a reason. They're strong and healthy. They've already had COVID. They have an absolute contraindication like a polyethylene glycol allergy. They're pregnant or childbearing. Uh, they're COVID recovered. These are all standard exclusions why <coughs> people shouldn't even consider one of these vaccines. And so because of that, uh, many people have suffered reprisal. They've lost their jobs. They've been ostracized by family members. They've undergone discrimination. Mm -hmm. What's called gaslighting. Right. You know, Merriam-Webster Dictionary just declared gaslighting the word of the year. In fact, they've been gaslighted. They've been uh, a subject of tremendous uh, pejorative types of statements. We've seen this now. They've been subject to censorship on social media with active censorship programs, Twitter, the Twitter files have revealed that the CDC and the CIA were working with Twitter censorship staff to target specific scientists, right. myself included, in that list. I was only suspended for two months. I was the top doctor on Twitter. I'm back and growing even more. But I can tell you, something has gone on here that have has made human behavior uh, become so contorted. Now, the concern is, that maybe a fully vaccinated person could transmit the genetic material or the spike protein to an unvaccinated person. Never been documented so far outside of a paper by Hannah and colleagues, which documented transference of messenger RNA through breast milk. Mm -hmm. Remember, pregnant women, breastfeeding women should do that naturally. They should never take experimental genetic injections. But in a paper by Hannah, some unfortunate women did take the injections and they're transmitting the genetic code for the Wuhan Institute of Virology spike protein to that baby through breast milk. Now the Pfizer documents uh, that came out that uh, that Dell Bigtree went after they they came out in those documents um, that we weren't supposed to see for fifty to seventy five years um, did talk about transference. They were worried about it, and then of course nothing else. So they 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 claim to be um, concerned about transference, and that was a big that was a big deal. That was never ever talked about, of course, in the mainstream media because it wouldn't in mainstream. Uh, they won't touch it. But what, did you? I know you probably uh, read that too about their concern, or at least stated concern that there would be trans transference, right? In the Pfizer documents? In, in the Pfizer dossier, specifically, they were concerned about a man who took the vaccine, had close contact with a pregnant woman, mm -hmm. and could he transfer the genetic material or spike protein to a pregnant woman? Remember, in the clinical trials, the vaccine companies and the FDA agreed pregnant women should not take right. the vaccine, should not take the vaccine. Now, that's a strict clinical trial regulatory decision approved by institutional review boards. So when the vaccines rolled out, pregnant women should have never rolled up their sleeve for this vaccine, should never have. And what we learned is that the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology took money from the White House Health and Human Services COVID Community Corps program. Remember, billions of dollars flowed out. ACOG received money from the federal government early in 2021 to push the vaccines on pregnant women. And I think investigations here are going to reveal 
uh, tremendous malfeasance. A paper by Thorpe and colleagues have shown a tenfold or more increased risk of fetal loss, that means miscarriages or stillbirths, hemorrhagic or clotting complications at delivery. Uh, a paper in the British Medical Journal has shown for sure a uh, large sample that the vaccines disturb the menstrual period, mm -hmm. uh, and that renders uh, invariably renders some women infertile. Uh, there's a paper from China in JAMA, a paper by Gatt and colleagues in Andreology, showing that the vaccines uh, drop male fertility, sperm motility, and count. In total, this is a maternal fetal fertility disaster. No young people should ever take the vaccines. I've said that on national TV from the very beginning. <coughs> People mm -hmm. of childbearing potential should not take it. Dr. Joe Ladapo in Florida, Surgeon General of Florida, and Ron DeSantis agree. So does the entire country of Denmark, many other European countries. The vaccine should never have been introduced in young people and sure enough, have never been administered to children or babies down to six months. Absolutely. In the leaflet that the FDA gave out, FDA.gov, it actually said there were certain concerns to not uh, to actually consult your physician before taking the shot. Of course, they give this leaflet after you know people were taking the very first shot. But it said if you were considering having a family, um, do not uh, do not take this shot. And I think people were surprised because of the disclosure, but it was after they, they had the shot, they would give them this leaflet. And I thought that was very uh, telling and very interesting that they were, they had a list of seven, seven things that uh, you had to consider before you took it, although the media was never citing any of that. It, but, it, but it was on the very page that they would give you when you, get, when you got the shot, the first one. People should take a look at the consent form and how it is in the United States, most people get the vaccines at pharmacies. Mm -hmm. So there is a, a standard consent, then there's an FAQ. Uh, but I did that recently from an updated uh, set of uh, vaccine documents. Do you know the smallest section in all the vaccine documentation is the benefit section, the benefit. And the current claimed benefit is past tense. The COVID-19 vaccines have been shown to reduce rates of COVID, period. No claim that it, it reduces severity or reduces hospitalization and death. No claim that it reduces transmission or makes the workplace safer. There is no theoretical benefit at this point in time. Our CDC directors come out and said the vaccines don't stop right. COVID-19. They don't stop transmission. No randomized trial has ever shown reductions in hospitalizations and death with that as a primary or secondary endpoint. It's over with. The right. COVID-19 vaccines have no theoretical benefit, and Americans know it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when you're, you have uh, this amazing career, you came forward because of the protocols being used in the hospitals. I did a video that went viral about getting my husband out of the hospital and uh, in three days out of the ICU with high-dose vitamins only and refused remdesivir and the ventilator, and he uh, went golfing on the fifth day. His numbers were through the roof. And so people started realizing that this was the case, that, that, that the remdesivir and the ventilator were killing people in the ICU, not necessarily a quote-unquote pandemic. And so when you came forward, what was the moment, what was that wake-up moment for you? What, what, what made you decide to come forward and start speaking on that? Very, I think it was that, wasn't it? Was the first that we heard of, of you uh, when you were talking about the protocols? I was involved in March of 2020. I had actually one of the first investigation on new drug applications 
in order to you know do a human study in a healthcare worker population. I did it with the FDA over a weekend. Mm-hmm. We were working with hydroxychloroquine. I was part of a major health system. I was on the task force. I was a leading researcher. And um, you know, it came under my medical directorship to actually treat patients to develop COVID-19. And I was developing an understanding that there were drugs with signals of benefit acceptable safety. And I took the step to go ahead and publish the first peer-reviewed paper in a high-level journal telling doctors that COVID-19 could be treated at home to prevent hospitalization and death. And then the race was on from there. The Association of American Physicians and Surgeons had the first home treatment guide. Um, So my paper was published in August of 2020, home treatment guide October of 2020. October 2020, another important document published, the Great Barrington Declaration. That was by Jay Bhattachar of Stanford, Martin Koldoff of Harvard, Sunitra Gupta of Gupta from Oxford. So we had the leading doctors now opining on what to do. Great Barrington said no lockdowns, no masks, no social distancing, just special protection for nursing home patients and senior patients, which we all agreed with. Over a million doctors signed that. So we had a treatment guide and we had the Great Barrington And the sad thing is our government agencies completely ignored this. They went on their own autocratic mission to suppress any forms of early treatment and mass promote the vaccines. And this became what we call the false narrative or the government agenda. (laughs) We understand now that they went all the way. Uh, The Twitter files have revealed that the CDC and the FBI were inside Twitter working with Twitter censorship staff to, to craft this. Uh, false narrative. Any doctor who had a treatment protocol or had new results was going to be censored off the platform. And the only thing that was allowed was promotional uh, tweets on the vaccines, anything about vaccine complications, safety issues, side effects, or, or loss of efficacy was also censored off the platform. This became obvious now. These are now points of evidence. You know, what the investigational committees are, are asking is, who gave these orders? Right. Who in the intelligence committee is responsible for the FBI's actions? Absolutely. There was a law that was changed in February of 2020 um, that it was a, a directive that said that the hospitals had to go with the NIH uh, protocol or they would be subject to liability, right? And so when you started realizing that these orders were coming from NIH for the protocol, they were not going to budge, even though there were uh, there was plenty of examples of information that would have um, would have changed what the that protocol that certain protocol was. When that was fed down to the doctors in the hospitals, and they would not budge from that, they would not let family members in. They were you know one protocol, and that's it. What was your feeling on that? Was that the first time that you saw this huge cloud of NIH directive over the hospitals and the, the, the state of the dictatorship on what they would do and how they would treat this and not be open to any other ideas? I was so shocked to see doctors just only back that certain NIH protocol without asking questions. Were you shocked? To see that. I was absolutely shocked. I've never followed a government protocol in my life. I've never known another doctor to do so. Uh, these protocols or guidelines are typically base recommendations upon, upon which we build. So the NIH having a protocol or the Infectious Disease Society of America having a protocol, uh, you know, that's fine. But, you know, there's always the Mayo Clinic additional approach or the Harvard additional approach to Duke. What was shocking is that these marquee institutions did not improve upon these right. protocols. Uh, There was nothing stopping them. There was nothing stopping them from doing more to save lives 
and compete on this. Uh, there were no centers of excellence for COVID-19 hospitalization. There was no comparative analysis of mortality statistics. So this is way beyond government protocols. Somehow hospitals lost their bravado in how to manage an acute problem. These are the same hospitals that brag about being number one in heart disease or cancer or trauma. Right. And suddenly no hospital in America claims to be any good at treating COVID. So this was a mindset. This is way beyond government protocols. There was something going on in COVID in the minds of people to not help other people. Absolutely. And they kept calling it a mystery, yet they knew exactly what drug they were going to use from the onset. They knew exactly what vaccine they were going to manufacture for the cure, supposedly. And they know they, they, they knew. So they kept telling us, we know very, very little. It's a huge mystery. So everybody has to lock down, except for the fact that we know steps A, B, C and D. And you will not step away from those steps. I That had to have been shocking for a lot of doctors. I was surprised that a lot of doctors um, would back and say remdesivir was safe and effective, yet they knew nothing about it. Because when I interviewed the doctors in the hospital to talk to them about my own husband's case, they knew nothing about Ebola. They knew nothing about its case studies. Nothing. That must well, have surprised you. Well, they should have you. known about the World Health Organization <laughs> right. directive. This was yeah. really important. And I lectured the Texas Senate Health and Human Services on June 27, 2022 on this. I said it happened on their watch. What we know with remdesivir out of the gate, it was the first intravenous Emergency use authorized drug, a previously failed Ebola drug that had known toxicities. Uh, it failed in clinical trials. And in the biggest clinical trial done by the WHO, uh, there was no improvement in mortality. In fact, there's cases of kidney damage and liver damage. So the WHO came out in November of 2020 and said, do not use remdesivir, period. They had a human ethics wow. committee approve that. <coughs> they mm -hmm. had European Society of Critical Care. That was a very strong statement. So yes. at that point in time, remdesivir in November of 2020 should have been pulled off the shelf of every hospital in America. But what happened was our Health and Human Services Agency actually put a bonus, a 20% bonus on the entire hospital stay if doctors would use remdesivir against the WHO contraindication, against their warning. And this went on. And to this day, the infectious disease side of America and the NIH say use remdesivir despite it having no benefit. The WHO re-examined their statement in May of 2022 with the Solidarity Group, and they concluded no benefit to remdesivir, no benefit. In fact, there's harm if people sustain a liver or kidney damage. So remdesivir is one of the clearest examples is US hospitals should not have been using it, or if they did, they should have clearly informed patients about the WHO warning statement on this. The, the NIH and IDSA should have acknowledged the WHO's position on this. Instead, Americans were railroaded with remdesivir, and it's been a disaster in terms of inpatient outcomes. Amen to that. Amen to that. And I'm asking you for a personal reflection here, but I know, I know many doctors, smart people. Now it's three years into this. Do they actually see this? Because I see a lot of doctors still backing the masks and the, you know, the, the protocols. I, I'm, I'm still shocked to see that because a lot of people think, is this just will, willful ignorance or is this um, something that they know, but they don't want to challenge the job? They don't want to lose their position at a hospital. And so they are, you know, basically just going along. What is your take? Because I, I know that you must have some sort of a reflection on this because I'm still baffled three years later that they are still backing remdesivir in these protocols. 
after all the evidence has come forward. I can tell you, I'm on all these doctor email lists and groups. If the doctors knew they were doing something wrong and they knew it was immoral and ethical and patients were dying because of their actions, you would hear chatter or you'd hear regret, remorse, mm-hmm. nervousness. I don't hear any of that. Hmm. Uh, doctors seem to be in some type of trance. You know, the yeah. doctors are taking the vaccines. <laughs> yeah, And uh, they're baffling. taking the vaccines, even though there's uh, you know tremendous safety signals or risking heart damage, blood clots, neurologic damage. They're seeing their family members be damaged with the vaccines, and they're taking more vaccines. And they know it doesn't work because they get COVID anyway right. with the vaccines. Right. So uh, I think there's some type of deep psychological um, issue going on here. It's a it's a major problem. Uh, you could see it on the faces of the the uh, athletes and the and the commentators. They all sense, gosh, this could be the vaccine, and they're so sick over it because they took the vaccine themselves. That's the reason yeah. why they look so pale. That's a great observation, um, by the way. I can tell You're you, right. a part of this has to do with once someone's taken a vaccine, they know it's in their body permanently, and the paper by Roken and colleagues shows messenger RNA is probably a permanent shot. You yes. didn't get out of the body. The spike protein looks pretty permanent, according to work by Bruce Patterson at Incel DX. I'm telling you, people are sick to their stomach that they've taken these vaccines, and they don't want to talk about it. They want to push yeah. it out of their mind and, and, and do anything except talk about these vaccines. I interviewed uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits several times. She came into studio, and, uh, and also two years ago. Two years ago, she said... Do not do not take these injections after the year 2017. Um, there is so, so much manipulation. The regulations came off. How do you feel about now that you know about all of this corruption behind uh, COVID-19 and these shots coming out? I don't even know if we can call them traditional vaccines. But how do you feel about all of the shots they seem to push, push, push now on us? The COVID-19 vaccine debacle. And, mm-hmm. You know, I officially called for these vaccines right. to be removed from the market. And there have been vaccines removed from the market in the past, rotavirus <laughs> being one with only 15 cases or so of any deception. And then we know the, Spani- the, um, the 1976 uh, swine flu mm-hmm. was recalled after 25 deaths. Right. Uh, you know, our VAR system says 16,000 Americans have died shortly after taking one of these shots, within a day or two. So this is uh, far beyond any safety limit. And, you know, I can tell you at this point in time that uh, people now have to grapple with the fact that they've made a terrible mistake in their bodies. uh, One of the most common things I hear is, uh, you know, Dr. McCullough, how can I get it out of my body? Well, there is no detox method. Um, We know roughly 15 to 25% of people are now sick due to the vaccines. Mm -hmm. Sadly, people have lost their lives. The important points I have is one, don't take any more shots. Right. And two, be vigilant for problems, particularly blood clots, heart damage, and you know, seek out internal medicine, cardiology, or other specialists when you know when appropriate. Right. In in the case of all the vaccines, uh, Moderna, Pfizer, uh, AstraZeneca, and Johnson and Johnson, there seems to be a profit war at hand. But what are the key differences between those shots that they're offering? Nobody knows how much profit they're making. Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson, Johnson, Novex, they don't make the products. Mm. They're basically marketing shields. So the money flows in right. and then it flows to the companies that are really making the products. So Moderna is made by a, a biodefense contractor, a DOD contractor called Resilience. We know AstraZeneca, Johnson, Johnson, which are similar 
adenoviral vaccines are made by the same company, by the way, which is Emergent Biosolutions outside of Baltimore. So these are under Department of Defense um, management. And uh, under emergency use con uh, authorizations, Pfizer and Moderna have no, you know, they have no mm -hmm. rights to inspect the products at all. So we have no idea about quality, purity, probably explains why the lot to lot variation is so great in terms of safety risk. About 80% of Pfizer deaths occur from 30% of the lots, 80% of Moderna deaths from 20% of the lots. And uh, and this flow of money has occurred with uh, basically no bid contracts pre-purchased. And I think the worst example is that the bivalent boosters we pre-purchased before even the failed animal studies were reported. Right. So America should not have to pay for this. I think the companies ought to be paying back America. Uh, the, the liability shields should be dropped since there's been fraudulent claims regarding the vaccines. And now the money starts to flow back to people who've lost their jobs, who have been injured or disabled, or sadly to families where someone's lost their life with the vaccine. Absolutely. Can you describe COVID-19? It has 98 symptoms. And so, um, you know, many describe it as just a label um, so that everything could be pinned on COVID-19. Some believe it's man-made. Some believe it was targeted. What, what is your feeling when you now describe three years into this? Uh, what is COVID-19? I follow the peer-reviewed literature only because it's a it's a vast source of information mm -hmm. and it's not controversial. Mm -hmm. What we know is that DARPA which is the research unit of the military, and BARDA, the research unit of the NIH focused on bio, biological threats, they announced a program in 2012 called the DARPA ADAPT P3 program, Pandemic Protection Preparedness Program. And they announced in 2012 they will use messenger RNA to end pandemics in 60 days. So this was a U.S. government objective. Now, they used DARPA consultants who, mm -hmm. uh, you know, gave them this, uh, I think, disastrous advice to use messenger RNA. Uh, and then they contracted with universities. And so the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Harvard, a Swiss institute. And in two papers published in 2015, three years later, uh, they, uh, in the title of the paper, uh, is the emergence of SARS-CoV-2 into human populations. In 2015, first author is Mena Cherry, senior author is Barrick, both at UNC mm -hmm. Chapel Hill. One occurred in Nature Communications, the other in Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences. These papers said that they had tweaked the spike protein. They had genetically altered the spike protein using gain-of-function research. And they outsourced it to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, so this is all stated in the papers. Now, they are working on making the virus more lethal, and they were working on an answer, monoclonal antibodies, and at this time, whole virus-killed vaccines. But this is all in the open. The, right. the engineering of SARS-CoV-2 to infect human beings was a U.S. government operation. It was done in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, biosecurity lab level four. Now, a company, BioMeru, helped a lot from France. They helped the Chinese build that biosecurity annex. And in fact, the CEO of BioMeru, Stéphane Bainzel, went from BioMeru to Moderna to now pick up the Moderna contracts from the federal government to start working on the vaccine. So this is what we call the biopharmaceutical complex as part of our book, Courage to Face COVID-19. This is all in the open. This is not controversial. 
SARS-CoV-2 was engineered in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And somehow there must have been a biosecurity breach and the virus got out of the lab and then we're off to the races with the worldwide pandemic. Dr. Peter Mercola, what's next? What do you now that, of course, we're being promised by Gates and, and the crystal ball that they seem to have um, and the uh, fraudulent administration that we have seem to be saying over and over, there's going to be another one. Some, some, somebody wants to target us for, uh, for another one. What do you feel is coming on the horizon? I'm really worried about what I'm hearing in China. And on my show, America Out Loud Talk Radio McCullough Report, I interview a Chinese scientist, and it's chilling. China took a COVID zero policy, <laughs> very strict measures for three years. They even locked people in buildings and welded the doors shut. I mean, it was awful. Right. And they're, the Chinese still use hazmat suits <laughs> to try to treat patients. We don't even do that in the United States. <laughs> right. I've met doctors in Central America don't even wear masks. Right. And the Chinese wearing hazmat suits tells you that psychologically, they're just off kilter right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so what's happened is uh, they've disrupted the normal immune challenges, the ab ability for human populations to develop some form of defenses. And now they're off to the races with different variants of SARS-CoV-2, probably led by the XBB subvariant of Omicron. And they are developing index cases and even second cases of severe illness. Now, this is unusual. Landing people in the hospital, uh, people dying. The Chinese do not appear to have a handle on early treatment protocols. Remember, early treatment is the only way to prevent a hospitalization once somebody's sick. The Chinese have used a dozen vaccines, all completely ineffective. They use killed or antigen-based vaccines that actually may be fostering all of these different mutant strain uh, mm. development in China. So the great concern is the Chinese may have cooked up through their ineptitude on public health measures, now a more virulent set of strains that could come over to the United States. Horses already out of the bound. They're going to try to restrict travel. It's useless. Uh, people have already poured across borders worldwide. And so if the new Chinese strains take hold in the United States, and I predict they will, mm -hmm. we could be off to the races with another wave. Jeez. I really appreciate you uh, spending time with me because this is um, obviously uh, you're you're the go-to expert I think in America. I think you're the person that uh, people want to hear from, and I also I also uh, you know just so respect the career you have, what you laid on the line to expose this, and many many people are so appreciative of that, uh, Dr. McCullough. How many deaths total do you think have happened in America from these vaccines? What, what, what's your projected sort of round number? What, what do you think this lays out at now, three years later? Well, what we have in the CDC VAERS system, so if you go to mm -hmm. openvaersdata.com, which is a valid weekly updated uh, query tool. No one's ever challenged, by the way, open VAERS. Right. And then toggle over <laughs> to the U.S. and domestic I'll give you the statistics as we sit here today. Mm -hmm. The CDC says for sure that 16,155 Americans that have died after the vaccine, they verified those. Uh, the largest fraction occur within the first four days of taking the vaccine. Wow. Probably well more than a third die within a few days of taking the vaccine. Now, uh, in VAERS, only doctors, nurses, um, Healthcare workers largely use that system to report because it's under 
threat of um, imprisonment or federal fines. We have to enter in your doctor information. So it's largely a doctor reporting uh, information system. That is a huge number. Remember, all vaccines combined all years prior to these COVID vaccines, about 150 deaths. So this is an astronomical number. The, the question on the table is, what's the under-reporting factor? Right. And the under-reporting factor has been derived by work by Rose, by David Wiseman, an expert who's published at the uh, FDA meetings. And the underreporting factor now is settled on this at about a numerical multiplier of 30. Hmm. So it's 30 times 16,155. So the total number of Americans that may have died with the vaccine or a complication related to the vaccine, that number could be over 450,000 Americans. Wow. This makes this the biggest biological safety disaster in human history by a mile. Wow. And to think they did the swine flu, they called that off after 25 deaths. Um, unbelievable. Thank you, Dr. Peter McCullough. How do people uh, uh, review your Substack, become a part of that, support what you're doing? And you have a wonderful wellness group. I just looked at an email from Tom Woods <laughs> singing your praises. And uh, I just wanted people to know how to get a hold of you, how to support you. Well, thank you so much. Well, you first, bet. my website is a central source. So PeterMcCulloughMD.com. That'll take you everywhere with uh, links to all the activities. Um, active on social media, on Twitter, on True Social, in Getter, Telegram. It'll take you everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a podcast, America Out Loud Talk Radio, McCullough Report, twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday. That's talk radio. And then my podcast through the week it brought on some of the top experts. Have a Chinese scientist this weekend, by the Excellent. way. If you want to really learn what's going on in China, we got to talk to talk to these uh, these experts. I have a wonderful Substack called Courageous Discourse. Sign up as a paid subscriber; it's five dollars a month, and we I have the top graphical figures. Most people subscribe to my Substack because they want the figures. I have right. uh, graphical abstracts, everything cited, everything I said today. I give the first author and I cite it. It's a great source of, of uh, videos. I write it with true crime author John Leake, who's a best-selling author. We share that responsibility. We've published a book together called Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalizations and Deaths While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. You got to get it. I think we're nearly 1,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. That's unheard of. Yes. It's a page-turner. It's a page-turner because <laughs> yes. it's a true crime story. It's, it's actually a true story, but it's written in a page-turning uh, way where people keep asking what's going to happen next. And it tells it from my perspective, but um, but others are involved as well. How did I set all the records on Joe Rogan? Why did the White House contact me? How did I end up being the lead mm -hmm. in the <laughs> U.S. Senate? What's the role of the French, Didier Rialt, and others? It's all in the book. You got to read it. You can read it in about three to four hours. It's now available in a very popular audio book. It's actually free on an Audible trial through Amazon. And it has the original sound clips from my um, Senate testimony, my Lincoln Memorial Address. And uh, so many people are giving us wonderful feedback. I'm on Amazon right now. So the number is 958 five-star ratings. Go to Amazon or you can go to the website, CourageToFaceCOVID19.com and buy it directly a little bit cheaper. But get those reviews up there. And we'll see you when we see you in the news. I'll probably be on the news multiple times this week as we follow out the sure. DeMar Hamlin story. 
Absolutely. You, you were beneficial to me uh, with my husband's a quick recovery, and I appreciate you more than you know. Thank you, Dr. Peter McCullough. Thank you.